see everyone. Um, we have uh, been taking time in September and November uh, examining what the scriptures say about uh, the purpose of Christ's bride, uh, the church. Uh, so we spent time looking together at the birth of the church, the importance of the church, the culture of the church and the mission of the church. This was all in September. Then this past month in November, we've looked together at the leadership of the church, the gifts of the church. Uh, last week, we spent time looking at the battle of the church. Uh, this afternoon, we're taking time to think about the future of the church. Uh, what will happen to the church in the days that lie ahead? This is what we're thinking about. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at two passages, uh, Revelation 7, 9 to 17, and Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. And I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and the words are going to be up on the screen as well. So John writes in chapter 7 in Revelation and verse 9, uh, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every, every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, who are these people in white robes and where do they come from? I said to him, sir, you know. Then he told me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. The ones seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Powerful passage. And then we're going to look at 21, Revelation 21, and the first eight verses. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So, Father, we, we come to you uh, this afternoon, uh, and we, we ask that, that you would have your way in this time. 
Uh, we, we want this time to be a time where we connect with your word in a way that's not just in our heads, but in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that as we understand what your word says, I pray that you would speak through me, uh, and I pray that you would speak to everyone who is here, uh, and that we would all be listening to your still small voice to such a degree that, that we are changed and transformed by your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that is to us. And we thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And we pray now that you would penetrate to such a degree that we are changed for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder this afternoon, uh, when you look ahead to the future um, and you think about what the future may or may not hold, how far do you go in your head? Uh, a number of us this afternoon, although some are still in denial, um, are looking ahead to Christmas. Um, and some people are making various plans about Christmas in terms of where to go, what to do, uh, people to see. Uh, and some of us uh, are maybe thinking beyond Christmas to 2024. Uh, perhaps you're making plans for a holiday or a special occasion, maybe something you'd like to do next year. Uh, there's maybe even some of us here who are thinking beyond 2024. Maybe uh, we're thinking uh, about 2025 or 2026. Um, and then there are others of us who are looking much further ahead. Uh, and you're maybe asking a question, who do I want to be in five years' time, 10 years, 20 30, asking big questions about your life. Um, and not that when we think like that, we have it all planned out, because none of us have it planned out. We can't predict what's going to happen in our lives. But it is sometimes help, helpful and healthy to have some degree of godly ambition. We look ahead to our life, and we have aspirations about who we might be in 5, 10, 20, 30 years' time. So that's a good thing to do. But I wonder how many of us think about how about something much, much longer than that. Um, how many of us think about beyond 30 years' time? How many of us think about heaven? What will it be like? What will we be doing in heaven? It's a big question for us to think about uh, this afternoon. It's such an important question as we think about who we are what God has done in our lives, what God has planned for us. What are we going to be doing in heaven? What will heaven be like? And when we do think about heaven, do we think about it not from what our world and culture says? If you have a, a kind of cultural understanding of heaven, you'll probably think of diapers or nappies and harps and clouds and all these silly things. I hope we don't think of heaven in that way. I hope we think of heaven in terms of what scripture says. Uh, and what we see from these two passages and other passages uh, throughout the Bible. Because when we look through the lens of Scripture, we don't have a full picture of what heaven's going to be like, but we definitely have a more accurate picture compared to what our culture says. Uh, there's an old Brooklyn Tabernacle hymn that's titled, Heaven on My Mind. And the chorus goes like this, I'm determined, I've got made up mind, I can't stand around wasting my time, I'm going to keep on working for Jesus every day of my life, because I've got heaven on my mind. So I think that's a healthier way to live as we think about that chorus. 
providing we have an accurate picture of what heaven is like. We live our lives with heaven on our mind. We are thinking with an eternal mindset day after day. So I wonder this afternoon, would this be you? Would this be me? Do we live our lives with that eternal mindset, with a desire to do all that we do with a hunger and desire to think about heavenly things and what God has planned for us. Uh, it's interesting when you look ahead uh, and you start to think and focus about something that might happen in the future. Um, we do it all the time. We think ahead. Sometimes it can be worry. Sometimes it can be excitement. But we think ahead to things that are going to happen in the future. And more often than not, that will impact who you are in the present. If you're looking ahead to something in the future, it will have an impact, an effect on your heart and mind in the present. Uh, if anyone's been on holiday abroad, you'll know this to be true. We all know that before we go on a flight, uh, there are two types of people in the world. There are those who board the plane in rainy Glasgow or somewhere else, dressed like they're already in Spain. They have the shorts and t-shirt on. And then there are those who, out of a determination not to get carried away, which is a very Scottish thing, um, they're going on their holidays, they board the plane like they're going to be in Glasgow for the next two weeks. Um, they walk onto that plane to Spain or wherever it might be with their jeans and their jumper on. And I'm not here to judge any particular group if you're one of those two categories. Um, what's happening with that first group, the shorts and t-shirt crew, well, in anticipation of what is about to come, they get themselves ready for the new country they're about to enter into. So they are anticipating this new environment, this new culture, and so they get themselves ready. They have the shorts and t-shirt on. And what's happening with that second group, the jumper and jeans gang? Well, they're of the opinion that this is now, and that is then. And they will get themselves sorted with their attire, not now, but when they arrive to this new place. And don't miss this. Uh, this is a picture of the church. There are two types of people in the church. There are those who are a part of Christ's bride and who are living for the here and now. Uh, they're not thinking ahead to this new country that they're going to be a part of. And then there are those who are a part of Christ's bride and such is their focus, it's almost like they have heavenly shorts and t-shirt on. Heaven is on their mind. They are thinking ahead about what heaven is going to be like. And this impacts their present. They do what they do. They say what they say. They live how they live with heaven on their mind, with this eternal mindset. So let me ask you, are you, are you looking forward? Are you excited? Are you expectant of heaven? I've never been to heaven. Uh, I've heard it's amazing from the Bible. The brochure, again, scripture, looks incredible, all-inclusive. I've heard it's a really amazing deal to get there. Uh, and we get an idea of what heaven is like from our two passages, but we see it throughout scripture. We see it throughout the New Testament. The Bible says a lot about heaven. And Revelation 7 and 21 are a really helpful start for us. So as we think about the future of the church this afternoon, what we're doing is thinking about something that, that God has planned one day for all of his people. Uh, and I just want to be clear this afternoon, this is not for everyone. 
this is for his bride, his, his people, God's children, the church, those who God has saved and sanctified for his glory. So let's make sure today that if we're not right with God, because you never know when that day comes, when we do stand before that holy God, and we all have to give an account for our lives. So it's for his bride, it's for the church. What, what we see in these two chapters is a picture of what God has planned for his people, his children, his church. So what will the future of the church be like? Another way of putting that is what will heaven be like? Uh, I want us this afternoon from scripture to look at three markers that will aid us as we think about what God has planned for each one of us. Our future will look something like this based upon what we find in Revelation 7 and 21. And the first marker that we see from these passages is that the future of the church will be one where we are a united people. We are a united people. And if we take a moment to look at Revelation 7 and verse 9, we read this from John. After this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And we see something similar in Revelation 21, 1-3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband, then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And I don't know about you, that, that brings me great encouragement to read those words. In the midst of suffering and hardship, to know that that is going to be my destination. That, that's really, really exciting and encouraging and comforting. And our aim this afternoon is not to look in detail at the doctrine of the book of Revelation, because that would take us till about half past 11 tonight. Um, but what I would say this afternoon is that a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, is every single redeemed person in Christ throughout all of human history. So it's speaking of everyone who, who has been saved, so that includes every single one of us if we love Jesus today. We are contained within this chapter. We are in this chapter. Praise God for that. And as we look at that statement from John, we have a responsibility to pay attention to the description of those who are saved in Christ. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language which no one can number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Wow, that's, that's quite a picture for us to think about and contemplate. This is a picture of the diversity and the unity of God's people. It shows us that God's heart is for every single people group in all of human history. He has a plan for, for everyone to be represented, every group to be represented in heaven. So it's going to be an amazing time. It's going to be so much good food as well, I think. Hopefully, <laughs> there will be. Uh, it's quite incredible to think that no group is going to miss out on what God has planned for us in eternity. And notice from Revelation 21 in particular, this is nothing of what we experience now. 
Um, at the moment, God is in heaven and we are on earth and there is separation between us and God. But what we see from this passage is a marriage of God and his people. So the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. So there's unity between God and his people. It's not just diversity and unity between us all. There's unity between God and his people. And on that day, incredibly, God will dwell with his people forever. God is going to live with us forever. God. So when we speak about the future of the church as a people who are united, we're speaking about the unity that we have with one another, as diverse and different as we are. But we're also speaking more importantly about the unity we're going to have with God. And we're, we're going to experience the unity that we have with God in its fullness on the day that we are together for eternity. That's quite incredible, quite amazing. And this is unlike any other unity that we have experienced here on earth. Unity, unity can be quite a broad term on earth. It's often on a spectrum. It can take various forms. We can experience unity to varying degrees. We can have strong unity and weak unity. But the unity of eternity is a unity that is marked by love, intimacy, fellowship, connection with God and with one another. And it's that kind of unity that we're talking about. And John goes further and he says later on in Revelation 22, 4, that when in heaven we will see his face, we will see the face of God. And just contemplate that for a moment. We are going to see God's face. To see the one who made us, the one who loved us, the one who died for us, to see the face of the one who has been with us through every pain and trial and hardship of our lives. God has been consistent. We have been inconsistent. We have fallen. God has picked us up. We're going to see his face. And I wonder this afternoon, as we reflect upon this, what does that do in your heart as you contemplate the fact that you're going to see God's face? Are you excited about the prospect of seeing God's face? Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, says this about what it's going to look like one day to see God's face. He says, seeing God will be like seeing everything else for the first time. We will discover that seeing God is our greatest joy and life itself. Every other joy of heaven will be derivative, flowing from the fountain of our relationship with God. Beholding and knowing God, we will see ourselves and all of our people and events through God's eyes. We will spend eternity worshipping, exploring, and serving our great God. We will see his breathtaking beauty in everything and everyone around us. Wow, that's, I'm, I'm excited by that. I hope you guys are as well. And as we see the face of God, we will also see the face of every redeemed person in heaven. God's glory is going to shine on every redeemed person. And we will get to connect with those people. We're all going to hang out one day. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we'll not remember those who've, who we've known and loved in heaven. You know, sometimes there's been a kind of common Christian understanding that um, we're not going to recognize anyone in heaven. But I'm convinced that heaven is a picture 
of the coming together of loved ones. And I think, I don't believe it, I believe that we will recognize one another in heaven. It will be a coming together of believers we have known and loved, and it will be a coming together of believers that we have yet to meet. And praise God for that. I look forward to those who I've known and loved in my life, loved ones who I would say have been extremely formative in my own walk with the Lord. I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to spend time with them. Alongside those people, I also look forward to meeting men and women from the Bible. Just a few examples, Moses, King David, the Apostle Paul, Ruth, Esther, Mary, so many more from Scripture. I'm also looking forward to meeting believers I've never met before, but who have had impact and influence on my life. St. Augustine, Martin Luther, David Brainerd, Charles Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, George Muller, so many. There's a long list I've got. I would encourage you to do that, create a list of folk you're going to spend time with in heaven. Alongside all these groups, I'm looking forward to meeting some incredible brothers and sisters in Christ that as of yet, I'm completely unaware of. I've never met them before. I don't know them. But they have an amazing story. God has used them in a powerful way. And it's going to be incredible to be able to spend time with them in heaven. And what's incredible is we will have an eternity to meet all of them. So we will spend eternity connecting with all these people. And we will have another eternity getting to know all of them really well. So we will do that in unity. That will be a picture of unity as we all collectively worship the one who is seated on the throne. What we just sang about a moment ago. So this is a unity that the Bible speaks about. It's not some superficial unity. There's a deep connectedness that's going to exist between us all and between us and God. So to what extent is the unity that we find in these passages a picture of the unity that we have today in this church? If this is what our future is, then the question I would ask is, why would we not live like that now in light of our glorious future? If, if we are going to live in that manner in heaven, then it would make sense to live like that now. Would it make sense for us to slander, to gossip, to provoke, to reject? If we're heading to a future that has none of these things, it doesn't make sense to me. Will you be like the person who boards a flight, ready for that new country you're going, you're going to enter into, wearing, jumper and jeans, determined to kind of sort it all out when you arrive to that new country? Or will you be like that person who is ready for heaven because you have lived a life that is marked and fueled by God's Spirit with an expectation and excitement of eternity? Last week, we prayed the Lord's Prayer together and we prayed this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The future of the church is that we are a united people. So why would we not live in light of that future today? God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we are united in heaven, we want to be united on earth. So Denison Baptist Church, do not let your life here on earth and your life in eternity be a contradiction. That can happen. That is a danger. That we live a life contrary to the life that we are going to walk into. So that's the first marker. The second marker we see 
from these past years as we think about the future of a church is that we will be a worshipful people. So we're united with God, united with one another, and we're going to worship. And to understand something of what this looks like in heaven, let's just take time to look at Revelation 7, 10 to 14. Uh, John says this, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes and where do they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There is a simple and yet powerful reason why these people in these verses cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 10. There's a simple reason why they do that. And the reason why they do that, the reason why they can do that is verse 14. Verse 10 is connected to verse 14. In verse 14 we read this. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The reason why they are in the presence of God, the reason why they worship God is because of what God has first done for them. As God has changed them and transformed them and given them new life, it causes them to sing. They have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus and they now respond in a worshipful way, with a desire to praise him and to glorify him. So the future of the church, the future of what God has planned for his people, is an eternity singing praise to God for what he has done through his perfect sacrifice. And Ian Paul, in his commentary in Revelation, writing on this passage, says this about the power of what it is that God has done for us, and what this is going to mean for us in eternity. And I just find this a really helpful quote. The paradox of making something white by washing it in something red, which would naturally cause staining capture. Staining captures the paradox of the cross. But something apparently shameful and unclean should bring honor and purity. It is the death of Jesus for us, and this alone which gives us the purity, holiness, and honor signified by the wearing of white, and which allows us to stand in the presence of God himself. So we are cleansed and we are made white by Christ's blood. And that's a paradox. It's two complementary truths that appear to be contradictory. Jesus' blood washes us clean. Amen. To know that this is what we will be doing in heaven, therefore, for all eternity, we are going to sing of the fact that we, are, we have been made clean. That we will be a worshipful people. How do you feel about that? As you think about the fact that you are going to sing for eternity and give God praise for eternity, forever and ever, for billions and billions and billions of years, does that excite you? Does it excite you? To know that not only will we be one with God, but we will worship him forever. As I say that, what is going on in your heart? As you think about this as your future, worshiping Jesus forever, are you excited by this? Perhaps you're not excited yet, but you want to be excited by that. 
I would invite you to ask God to do something in your heart. Ask God to cultivate something so that your priority is not the excitement of something in this world. Your priority is the excitement of heaven and all that God has planned. You know, I love this song that we've been singing recently as a church and it so encapsulates so much of what we will be singing forever in eternity. We might even sing this song in eternity. And my guess is that songs and hymns like this will be one of millions and millions or even billions of songs that we are going to sing for eternity. See on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side, no greater sacrifice. Sing for the freedom he has won, even death is dead and done, his life has overcome. Speak, save a name above all names, over every broken place, he is risen from the grave. Now in a throne of majesty, the Father's will complete, he reigns in victory. Sing hallelujah to the King. He is worthy to receive all the worship we can bring. What he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is, is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. Wow, we're going to do that forever. We're going to sing this song and songs like this for eternity. Are you excited by that? The overflow of your life, the day-to-day -day, um, outpouring of what you say and do and think stems from whatever it is you worship in your heart. It's whatever, it, it's whatever you see uh, as being su of supreme worth and value uh, in your life. Whatever you cherish as most important. And the stark reality for every single one of us is that heaven will not be heaven to us if Christ and what he has done for us is not our greatest worth and value now. And our worship comes from that place of truly understanding head and heart of all that God has done for us through his sacrifice on the cross. So the more and more we take time just to meditate on the gospel, on all that Christ has done for us, the more and more this truth is going to be alive within us and the more natural it will be for us to then sing and give praise and give glory to God. So it begins with Jesus and his death. The reason why they cry out with one voice, salvation belongs to our God, is because their robes have been washed white by the blood of the Lamb. And the reason why we sing is the exact same. It's the exact same. We have been made clean. We are new creations. The old life is gone. The new has come. We are those people in this passage. Let me encourage us as a church, as we make the gospel central to all that we do, let me just encourage you to keep going with that. There's going to be moments where we fall short, and that's okay. God is big enough to deal with those, those moments where we do fall short and we do struggle, and we find other things more satisfying than God. We confess our sin, we give it to God, and we start again. The Christian life is a, a constant cycle of repentance, 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 and coming back to God every single time, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness.
and that causes us to then get it. We really get the gospel and we start to sing, not with our heads, but with our heart of what he has done. So do that today because you're going to do it for all of eternity. So you might as well start today. It will be a supreme joy and privilege. It's not going to be duty. It's not going to be tradition. It's going to be an absolute privilege to sing, to sing, and then to sing some more for God's glory. I want to invite you this week to wake up every morning of this week. And the first thing you do is thank God for the cross and his death for you. And maybe even take some time in the morning to sing and to rejoice of what he has done for you on the cross. And doing that, as you do that, you are living today with eternity on your mind because you're going to be doing something that you will do forever. So as you sing now, that is a picture of what you will do for eternity. Amen. This leads us on to our final factor, which highlights what the future of the church will look like. So we will be a united people, number one. We will be a worshipful people. And number three, we will be a transformed people. Have a look again at what we read in verses 15 to 17 of Revelation 7. <clears throat> John says, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And in Revelation 21, in verse 4, same sentence. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. It's not just that God is united with us. It's not just that we will worship God, but God will transform us as well. We will be completely changed in heaven. That's the future of the church. Praise God for that. He will transform us and that he will completely satisfy us. There will no longer be a, a desire to strive and to thirst and to hunger for things of this world. We will no longer hunger and thirst, verse 16. Our completeness will be in Christ. He will transform us and that he will completely protect us as well. You and I will no longer experience any pain or hurt. There will be no reason in our lives to be afraid. We will be free from that. Again, we see this in verse 16. And he will transform us in that he will lead us. Verse 17 says that we will be shepherded by God. We have a full eternity to learn and grow in our relationship with God. And he will transform us and that he will comfort us. In both passages, 7.17 and 21.4, we read that every tear will be wiped from our eyes. What a powerful picture. So let's get this. Let's understand what this means. We will be healed from every single past pain and hurt. And it's God who's going to do that healing work. 
God will be the divine therapist and he will bring restoration to our lives. John here is speaking of a day when suffering, hardship and pain will no longer be a thing. Imagine that. Imagine a, a life where we no longer experience suffering, pain, hardship, rejection, anguish, anxiety, fear. What a day. I look forward to that day. I don't know about you, but I look forward to all of us. I look forward to the day when this is all of our defining realities. And this is what Randy Alcorn, again, he says with regards to what heaven will be like. This is a quote. I've shared this before in our, our series in First Corinthians. But it's such a helpful reminder of what heaven will be like. Alcorn says this. He says, no death. This is heaven. No death. No suffering, no funeral homes, abortion clinics, or psychiatric wards. No rape, missing children, or drug rehabilitation centers. No bigotry, no muggings or killings. No worry or depression or economic downturns. No wars, no unemployment, no anguish over failure and miscommunication. No conmen, no locks, no death, no mourning, no pain, no boredom, no arthritis. No handicaps, no cancer, no taxis, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no traffic jams and accidents, no septic tank backups, no mental illness, no unwanted emails, praise God, close friendships but no cliques, laughter but no put downs, intimacy but no temptation to immorality, no hidden agendas, no backroom deals, no betrayals, Imagine mealtimes full of stories, laughter and joy without fear of insensitivity, inappropriate behavior, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, hurt feelings, sorry, or anything that eclipses joy. That will be heaven. Praise God. So if that's what heaven will be like, what does that mean for Denison Baptist Church today? Well, we look, at, we look to God as a one who will one day bring about this transformation. And although we, we know we will not experience this transformation in its fullness now, we know that God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven means that God will move and work amongst us as a church today. And we are increasingly moving towards that eternal reality day after day. So by God's grace and by God's spirit, we are becoming more and more like Jesus and we are moving closer and closer to heaven and the promises of heaven. So this afternoon, if you are dissatisfied in some way, he will fulfill you. He is going to bring completeness to your life. Um, this afternoon, if you are fearful, we can take comfort from this passage. He will protect you. Our God is going to protect us. Know today that he loves us and he's going to watch over us. This afternoon, if you are confused and you're lacking direction in your life, he's going to lead you. He's going to lead each one of us all the way through this life and into eternity. He's faithful to do that. He's faithful. And this afternoon, if you are in pain, if you're hurting, if you are experiencing anxiety or anguish, our God promises from his word that he can help us. In fact, more than that, he can restore us 
so that in heaven we will one day be everything that God has, has made us to be. So we can experience this today and we will experience the fullness of this in eternity. So my invitation to you this afternoon is to let God do that work. It's not our job to try and work all of this out. Um, we don't need to, to wait for eternity for it all to arrive on our lap. We can let God work in our lives today. Why would you want to wait? To become more and more like Jesus through the relationship that you have with him. It's the greatest joy any one of us could have. So let God do a work so that you are more and more becoming like him. Let me close this afternoon with three questions for us to contemplate. As we go into this week, in light of our passage, our passages this afternoon, and these questions hopefully are just really prompts for us to think about how it is we can be a more faithful people for Christ and the strength that he provides. Number one, am I passionately pursuing unity within the life of the church? If this is a destiny for all of us, is this how I'm living today? Am I passionately pursuing unity within the life of the church? Number two, is my life one of wholehearted worship to Jesus for who he is and what he has done? I'm like anyone. I can find that my life is filled with things of this world that have no eternal value. And it is easy to then find my satisfaction and excitement in these things and not the things of Christ. So as I ask that question, I'm asking myself first and foremost, is this the life that I want to live, the life that I want to pursue, one of wholehearted worship? And number three, am I letting God transform me through the work of his Holy Spirit so that I am increasingly a, pic a picture of his son? So let God do that renewal work. Again, it's nothing that we can do ourselves. And as you ask yourself these questions this afternoon, uh, recognize that it's only as we fix our eyes on God and his eternity that you will see this become a reality in your life. So as we move into a time of response, this is a time for us to sing together. Again, a practice in heaven. This is a time for us to come to the table. Uh, we come to this table and we recognize the faithfulness of God in our lives, the goodness of God, the promise of God that we will be with him in heaven. And as we have fellowship afterwards, this is a time also to pray and to be prayed for. If you would like to receive prayer, then do let us know. This is a kingdom moment for us because we're looking to build one another up in Christ so that we are a picture of Revelation 7 and 21. And I recognize that maybe for some of us here or watching online, you've never given your life to Jesus before, quite possibly. Let me just invite you, you can do that today. You can put your faith and trust in him. The scripture says that if we believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord and we declare with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. That's a promise. Perhaps this afternoon you need prayer for something. Perhaps you need prayer for a circumstance or an illness or even someone you know in your life. Then do speak to myself or to TJ or someone you know who loves the Lord and we would take time to pray for you. So we're going to sing and as we sing we're going to come to the table and take the bread and drink the cup and as we do this this is an invitation for anyone who loves Jesus 
And for anyone here this afternoon who recognises, you know, Mark, I'm, I'm still on a bit of a journey. I'm still trying to work out what this Christianity is all about. Uh, we would invite you to refrain from coming to the table. Um, we would invite you to pray and to ask that God would speak to you and listen to what it is he has to say to you as we do sing and respond in a worshipful way. It was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And this is key for us tonight. For as often as we take this bread, and as often as we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And when he returns, we will be in heaven. And we will be a people who are united, who are worshipful, and who are transformed. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that none of us stand in your presence on merit. That it is your achievement, your accomplishment for us. We thank you for what you have done for us. We rejoice, Lord, that we can now sing of who you are. And we pray that by your spirit, you would take this time and minister to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and convict. You would come and minister. And that we would experience freedom in our lives, Lord. If there's anything that we're carrying tonight, which we know is, is not of you, I pray that we would come to the cross and we would give it to you. Knowing that you want to take that from us. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, help us to be alleviated of the worries and concerns and fears that we have. Lord, you promised to help us and we come to you and ask that you would help us tonight. So bless us now as we sing, as we take the bread and the cup, as we have fellowship and as we have prayer. We ask this in your name. Amen.